This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash. Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. Welcome to Inspire Change, a new inspirational and motivational broadcast that strives to empower men in a positive way. Designed to educate, empower, and inspire even the busiest individual on the go over that first cup of coffee. Please join me in welcoming Gunter Swoboda, international psychologist, author, speaker, and producer. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Inspired Change. Now, I hope you've been listening, and I hope it's really stimulated some reflection, some you know, food for thought. And in the last episode, I talked about the issue of values, morals, and ethics. And the other day, someone actually asked me, and so I said, well, you know, why do we need to know this sort of stuff? And I thought it was an interesting question and an important one. And he wasn't being facetious. He was actually really wanting to explore my thoughts around this. And the thing is that irrespective of whatever it is that I'm doing in my life, there is a point where I make decisions, and those decisions are based on beliefs, attitudes, values, and different ideas and knowledge base that I have, okay? So I'm, I'm doing this particular episode at the moment, or this series of episodes of values, morals, and ethics, because we've got to ask ourselves some very deep pertinent questions at this time in history where we are collectively seeing people make decisions about not just themselves, about the well-being of others. Now, some of those decisions are not based on the well-being of the community as a whole, but simply based on what's in my interest. Now, I'm not judging anybody here, but we need to understand very clearly what the ramifications are of making decisions of that nature, right? Because they, they involve a lot of things. They involve health, commerce, they involve politics, they involve relationships. Uh, one of the very, very sad things that I'm seeing currently is how some families are being split in two by by differences of opinion, you know, not necessarily differences of fact, which I could understand possibly. So we do need to be clear, and as I said before in previous episodes, that, you know, one of the things that I utilise in living my life is based on personal values, and those values need to work in relationship as well, but not just in my relationship with my partner, but also in my relationship, in my relationships with my children, my community. So it's a broader idea. Now we also talk about morality as well, 
And then it gets even a little bit more complex when we start talking about ethics. Now, it shouldn't be that hard. But the problem is it isn't that straightforward either. So, first point, values guide my relationships with myself and or others. And usually it's an and others. Okay. So, what system of morality do I have then from which I, you know, to which I bring my values? And this is, this is important because... Um, how do we get a moral system? Now, a lot of people who are religious will say, well, you know, that's pretty clear cut. I'm a Catholic and my moral compass stems from my Catholic doctrine. A Muslim would say that this comes from the Quran. A Buddhist would refer to, you know, the sacred scriptures of whatever school of Buddhism that this person adheres to. But what about a person who's secular? And this is where it gets interesting because some time ago in the late 50s, there was a guy called Lawrence Kohlberg and he did a whole, he got really interested in this whole issue about morality and moral development, which he took from a guy called Jean Piaget, who was a child development psychologist, okay? So, Lawrence Kohlberg basically adapted his developmental theory of morality from that of the developmental theory of Jean Piaget. And according to his theory, moral reasoning develops in six stages. And each, each of these stages are more adequate in responding to moral dilemmas than the one before, okay? So it's, it's essentially a, a knowledge hierarchy or a developmental, a moral hierarchy, okay? Now, those six stages basically fit into three categories. And he talks about pre-conventional morality, conventional morality, and post-conventional morality. Now, this is important for all of us who are parents or teachers who, who work with children, because one of the things that's fundamentally critical is that as an adult, rearing, raising, teaching children, it really helps to have a clear understanding of what that child, um, in a sense, brings to the table in their capacity to think, right? And it's not, you know, it's not all there straight away. It develops. So in... For example, stage one, most kids are into obedience or punishment. That's their orientation. So this stage is about young children and some adults are stuck in that place as well where rules are seen as being fixed and absolute. So you either obey the rules or you don't. And obeying the rules is important because it's a way of avoiding punishment. So that that's basically the center of it. As the child develops, right, so does their capacity to reason morally. And in the second stage, it's more about self-interest. So as children grow older, they begin to see that other people have their own goals and preferences, and that often they're 
There's room, there's a bit of wiggle room. We can negotiate. And so this is where I talk a lot about kids being bush lawyers because they've discovered this capacity to negotiate, which really gives them a big buzz and a thrill. And essentially a lot of the decisions at this point uh, that a child makes is based on the principle, what's in it for me? So a, an older child might think about it in this way. If I do what mum and dad wants me to do, they'll reward me. Therefore, I'm going to do it. Okay? So the next stage is where the child now develops a more social conformity. Right? And this is usually by the time they're teenagers. Um, there's a sense of what good boys and nice girls do and the emphasis is on living up to social expectations. This is where peer group stuff becomes critical. And as a parent, I really need to understand this stage very well, very well because, you know, rearing a teenager is, is, is a tough gig if you're not careful. And so... The question arises, what are the social expectations, but not just in the family, but also in their peer group? And often at the moment, the peer group overrules the family. And this is, this is crucial. So let's move on. Let's move forward a little bit in time. You know, the individual's getting older, they're reaching adulthood. And at this stage, the core foundation of their moral thinking is about law and order. Adults at this stage tend to think about society as a whole when making any sort of judgment. The focus is on maintaining law and order by following the rules, doing one's duty and respecting authority. Okay, now, if we tease this apart, we can see that there's probably going to be some you know, problems if we just stick and stay in this stage, right? This doesn't work all the time. We can get ourselves into difficulties. The next stage, stage five, as I become more developed in my thinking as an adult, is, is the, what's called the social contract orientation. At this stage, people understand that there are differing opinions out there on what's right and wrong. And fundamentally, laws are just social contracts based on a majority decision and inevitably require compromise. Now, people in this phase, in this stage, sometimes disobey rules if they find them that they're inconsistent with their personal values. And they will also at this stage argue that certain laws will need to be changed if they're no longer working. And so we have, we have this, you know, situation currently with, you know, the, the, the gay marriage bill that was, you know, we, we needed a change in law, but not everybody agreed with this. We've got issues around how do we deal with public health uh, how do we make changes in the legal system that will accommodate that? So there is, you know, the drug laws also come in, into this realm. You know, people sometimes say, well, it's illegal, you shouldn't do it. But they will do other things that are illegal because it suits them, okay? 
So this was so stage five social contract. Stage six is now the sort of top of the pyramid for Kohlberg's moral development um, theory, and that he calls that the universal ethics orientation. Now, according to him, few people operate at this stage. Essentially, certainly not all the time. Okay, and what it, what he's talking about here is that it's based on abstract reasoning, and the ability to put yourself into other people's shoes. Hmm. Empathy, right? One of the core elements in human relationships. Okay, so it it's a process that for some of us takes a while to get to in our adulthood. Now, in this stage, people will have a principled conscience and it will follow universal ethical principles, regardless of what the official laws and rules are. Okay? So, if I go back to 1932, Germany, and the Nazi party is in charge, they created laws that were fundamentally completely immoral. And what it brought forth is a whole bunch of people who said, I'm not interested in the laws, I'm interested in what's moral and dividing people according to race, religion, ethnicity is wrong. Now, for a lot of them, uh, they unfortunately ended up dead because it's a risk to go against the state. At that time, you were arrested, you were put into a concentration camp, and usually that was the end of the story. But at the same time, we had enough people who gathered together, irrespective of what the laws in Germany were, and decided to do something. And then with the aid of the international community, that regime was brought down to its knees. Now, the question that I sometimes have if Hitler wasn't so busy invading everybody else, what we what would we have done as the rest of the world who didn't adhere to fascist principles? Now, we haven't escaped that type of thinking. We're in the midst of it where democracy, which is essentially a social contract orientation, which is stage five, is under threat. And we need to consider what the consequences are of the decisions that I make in my activities within society and how I think about things. And this is where I come back down. If we're going to have a robust community that is psychologically and socially healthy and economically flexible enough and adaptable enough to give us longevity, then these issues of moral development need to be considered. You know, it's not good enough when people talk about integrity, they need to demonstrate integrity. What they do needs to match what they say. And most importantly, they need to be first accountable to themselves, i.e., you know, am I part of the problem? Do I need to actually accept and put my hand up and go, mea culpa, i.e. the fault is mine? 
or do I continue with what I'm doing? So just because something's not illegal but immoral, I'll just continue to be immoral and I'll just put the blame on somebody else. Like, oh, it's the law. That, that sort of thinking is, you know, inadequate in a complex society, especially where we have intersections with technology, science, morality, religion. We need to really consider this as a package. And I want people to be able to think about this and raise children that can think for the future, a healthy future. And so one of those aspects is the capacity to raise children, understand how we develop and help to develop them, to be kids that have got access to sound personal values that are brought up with a strong morality. And it doesn't need to be religious. It needs to be secular as well. And that they're also brought up to have an ethical framework, which might, like in my case, might be the ethic of do no harm, against which I measure my thoughts, beliefs, attitudes and actions. Now, I hope that was useful. Um, th there are some issues with... Uh, Lawrence's, Lawrence Kohlberg's um, theory. Um, part of, you know, it's been critiqued on a number of occasions. One, he did all of this work with kids under 16 who were boys. Okay, so there's probably some fairly serious gender biases. Although, when we start looking at having people, you know, talk about dilemmas, moral dilemmas, you know, we, we, we can see how people make decisions and it's really interesting because there's a, there is this pattern it, it's not basically um, devoid of, of a form a structure a pattern so one of the things that Kohlberg did is he did this with a particular moral dilemma so Kohlberg's famous moral dilemma was basically a scenario that he uh, put to the kids. And it goes essentially uh, this way. Heinz, who's a man who lives somewhere in Europe, Heinz's wife was dying from a particular type of cancer. Doctors said a new drug might save her. He got very excited. The drug in question had been discovered by a local chemist and then Heinz decided to try desperately to buy some of this drug. But the chemist was charging 10 times the amount of money it cost to make the drug. And simply put, Heinz couldn't afford that amount of money. So he could only raise half of the money, you know, and even after the help from family and friends, he explained to the chemist that his wife was dying and asked if he could have the drug cheaper or pay the rest of the money later. The chemist refused, saying that he had discovered the drug and was going to make as much money from it as he could. The husband was so desperate to save his wife, so later that night he broke into the chemist's lab and stole the drug. So the questions that Kohlberg posed to the kids was, 
one, should Heinz have stolen the drug? Would it change anything if Heinz did not love his wife? Question three, what if the person dying was a stranger? Would that have made a difference? And question four, should the police arrest the chemist for murder if the woman died? There's a whole, there's a whole range of other questions we could pose around this moral dilemma. But those were some of the ones that Coldwick used. Very interesting. And so one of the things I want you to do is actually think about this moral dilemma Run through the questions yourself and see what you're doing with them, how you approach this. And as an exercise, you might do it with your partner and you might sit your kids down and, and sort of check it out and then use the framework that we've got. There are some other models of moral development, but this one is probably the first one. And there are some, you know, particularly philosophical, academic questions around it critiques, that's fine. But I think overall, it's not bad for what it is. Okay, some food for thought. I hope you have fun with it, but also take it on board as a serious thing because we are in serious times that require inspired change in the right direction, which is to preserve individual and social well-being at its best. We've got what it takes to do it. Do we have the courage? Until next time, speak to you then. Thank you for listening to Inspire Change with Gunter. Gunter Swoboda does individual and group coaching for men looking to grow. For more information on this and the global Making Good Men Great movement, check out goodmengreat.com to get into contact. If you have a topic for the show or would like to be a guest on the air, please email producers at Miranda at Noirtainment.com. That's Miranda, M-I-R-A-N-D-A, at Noirtainment, N-O-I-R-T-A-I-N-M-E-N-T.com. Thank you, and always keep inspiring change. This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get hefty, ultra-strong with new Fabuloso lemon scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.